Well, good morning, everyone. What a great song, not just to sing, but particularly to sing before preaching. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We don't have strength uh, in and of ourselves, and we don't have weakness in and of ourselves, really. What we have is Christ. Um, he is all that we have. Um, important to remember. Important to remember while preaching. Uh, let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for such a song as that to be able to sing and place all of our hope, Lord, in this world upon your Son. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord God, this morning, uh, as we move from where we were last week to where we want to be this week, talking from a place where we were weak, Father, uh, to a place now of hope, of broken and corrupt glory, now to something renewed in your Son. Lord, I pray you would warm us up to your word. Lord, if we have grown cold towards your hope, if we've become indifferent to it in any sort of way, Lord, if it has become anything less than hope, (laughs) anything less than what would what Paul calls incomparable to the present time, Lord, that you would wake us up to it. Father, give us the ears to hear, open our heart, and Lord, help us to receive your word for the life that it has to offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know last time I spoke, last Sunday, it was a rather heavy topic. I spoke to you of the sin of humanity and the corruption of the glory that we had been given by God, a creation. I called us names that are found in Scripture and yet are difficult to hear. Names like evil, children of the devil. I hope you also heard me speak of the loss or the corruption of that glory and the purpose that we once had of being able to love God with our lives. That was our purpose and to be able to love others in that. And the loss of a close relationship with God. and The very bleakness of that situation that we found ourselves in after the fall, that we possess nothing in ourselves, no strength, not a single good work to lay claim of. Everything that we did corrupted, returned to ash and to rust. I pray that you received that word well and that was an aid to you as you considered the question that we've been wrestling with, the question we found in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of them? I pray that you receive these words well because they are not easy words to receive, are they? I said in my last sermon that the Lord Jesus attested to the hatred he received when he spoke and came with a word that put humanity in the position of weakness, 
and in need of salvation, in need of hope from him and nothing else. There is every chance this morning that you too may have blocked your own ears, not wanting to hear any more of the scripture on this topic because of the pain that it can cause. It is a sorrowful topic, something to be grieved. And it's an uncomfortable topic to speak on. But it would be more of a grief if we were not to hear it at all. I hope that you are at the very least still willing to hear the rest of the story because it's not where it ends. It's your story as much as it is my story. More than anything, God's story. Let us be reassured, though, that we will go no further in speaking of the downfall of humanity from glory, though we could speak more of the details and the specifics of what that looks like to live uh, broken, and we will do in the weeks to come. In general terms, we are at the very bottom of that steep hill, and that's where we'll be taking off from this morning. And at that very bottom, we'll be speaking now of the one who meets us there. We'll be speaking of Jesus and the hope that he brings to us in such a place. Now, you may ask yourself, and I think it might be a good question, what good does it do to hope? Certainly, you and I have experienced at times placing our hopes in things that have let us down that have failed and not fulfilled the promises that we hoped that they would. Perhaps a relationship that let you down, that never came to fruition or that broke its trust. Medication or surgery that didn't do as we hoped it would. Maybe hard work that you thought would lead to success that never came about. And after these failed and false hopes have led us down where we often left, not back where we were originally, but more destitute than ever. Hopeless. Hoping can feel like a dangerous and risky enterprise at times, where the reward and cost balance feels too dangerous. It's weighted too much towards failure rather than success. And the greater the hope, the greater the risk. And what greater hope is there than the hope of having a glory, not just returned, but given back magnitudes more? What greater hope than being taken from death to life? What greater hope than having that ancient enemy of sin being defeated? What greater hope than being able to once again walk in the presence of God? And yet, our fearful hearts may whisper, even as we hear that, what great a cost it must call for. What a great distance to fall should this hope not be true. 
where would I be after this? I think it would be wise to take a moment and ask ourselves if we are afraid that the hope that Christ has on offer to us is going to be worth the risk. Are we afraid of the hope that Jesus offers? If it does cost, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his Father's and of the holy angels. The cost of life in Jesus is a cost of repentance, being aware of this weakness that we have spoken of and turning away from the false hopes that we place in anything else other than the blood of Jesus and to turn towards him only, giving ourselves fully and wholly into his hands to trust Jesus, what he says and what he has done on the work of the cross for our salvation and nothing of this world. And it may feel, I'm sure, as many of you will have felt before, that that first step of faith is like stepping out across a chasm, unsure of what will catch you without any net, without any harness, trusting only in the words of Jesus that he has made a way, an invisible bridge that you cannot see or know until you stand upon it, trusting in him. But can I reassure you that all of the risk, all of the loss, all of the harm is in remaining where we are and not trusting in him. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? The gain is, of course, a life once more gained through him. Though we were made dead by our sins, he makes us alive once more, alive with a myriad of new blessings and hopes to live in and wait for. Paul says in our text this morning from Romans 8, I don't consider the sufferings of this present age or present time worthy of being compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. We've been given a great hope for the near future. It changes how we see, how we interact and how we at times endure the world that we are presently in concerning both the pleasures and the pains of this present time. Our future hope puts everything into perspective. If we had no hope, then this moment right here and right now would be all that we had in pain or in pleasure that you have right now. 
Whether we are in pain or pleasure, this, is, this would be it. No hope of relief. No hope of greater times ahead. Without hope, every wheezing breath or joint ache, pang of loneliness, piece of shame that we felt or twinge in the body would be it. Without hope, every pleasurable taste, every pleasurable sight or sound that we had would be all that we had. It would consume us. How we need a hope then, even as a people of God, that we might not be lost to the present time, to right now, and to the pleasures and pains of this world. Not only do we need a hope, but it must be one that is greater by far than anything that this world has to offer. It has to be sufficient. For if it is insufficient, we will compare the two. The hopes of this world to the hope of what is to come. And we would find the hopes of heaven to be wanting fearful of what was to come. Yet Paul says that the present time is not worth comparing to the glory that we will be revealed in us. That there will be a day when men and women of faith will blaze with such brilliant glory that it cannot be compared with the present suffering. Now, this is not a comparison that he is making between apples and oranges. It's the difference between the sun that gives life and light to the universe or to our galaxy, to oranges. Not worthy of being compared. Now, we shouldn't think that it is our personal suffering that Paul is actually speaking about that will be outshone by the glory revealed in us. It is all the suffering of the present age that he speaks of, from his time until now. If you were to gain all of that suffering together into one black, sticky mess and compare it to the glory that will be found in the children of God, you would not even be able to see it. In comparison, not even a black speck in the distance to the glory that will be found in men. Do we know that this glory will be incomparable in our future? What will be this hope-filled glory? That we will be revealed as children of God. The titles that I used last week that were so offensive, evil children of the devil are done away with in him. Wilhelmus A. Brockel put it this way, from being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God from being a child of wrath to becoming an object of God's favour, from being a child of condemnation 
to becoming an heir of all the promises and possessor of all the blessings and to being exalted from the greatest misery to the highest felicity. This is something which exceeds all comprehension and all adoration. As a result of being his children, we gain every inheritance. Namely, the inheritance of a restored relationship with God. A relationship better than any other. The relationship we were created for. That of a heavenly father to his children. John Stott, whose writings you'd be familiar with, calls our adoption the highest privilege that the gospel has to offer. The highest privilege. And you'd remember in a sermon that I spoke earlier this year of that verse from Psalm 84 that we're so fond of, which I spoke, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Just to be a doorkeeper or a servant in his house is better than everything that this world has to offer, is incomparable. But we aren't told that we're going to be doorkeepers, going to be the sons and the daughters of God, the royal family in his kingdom for all of eternity. 1 John 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. It is a hope of glory that's not only incomparable for me, you and me, and all those brothers and sisters that share in the blood of Christ, it's incomparable for creation as well. You and I, if you remember, are not the only ones that are bound in this state of corruption. Creation is also in the Garden of Eden on the day that humanity fell. We became corrupt as a consequence of our sin. But Paul says on that same day, the Lord also subjected all of creation to futility. This is something to wrap our minds around that creation was placed by God under the consequence of death. As you and I, not as a natural consequence of sin, but because God willed it to be so. I don't know how interested you are in environmental affairs, but you will have noticed, I'm sure, that this world is degenerating. It's not getting better. Much of the blame is laid on human greed. Too much digging, too much cutting down, too much burning. But its degeneration is more than a result of human plundering. 
It degrades because God subjected it to the same futility and bound it to corruption. Now, that's not an excuse for humanity because we have certainly shared in the means by which that corruption has taken place when we were to be its carers. But it is to say that the solution, the salvation of creation is not ours to achieve. We cannot fix creation. It doesn't matter how much we recycle or what type of car that you drive. And it's not simply because we've gone too far past the point of no return, but because the Lord holds it there, waiting with hope. Creation is waiting in hope as we are for our glorification. It groans, Paul says, as though it were pregnant and about to give birth. Groaning and holding on to a hope that is soon to arrive in the work of God. Our glorification. When we are glorified, it says the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Creation will be free with our glory. But although soon it is not yet, and creation must continue to wait, as we must also wait for the adoption into sonship, as we've already spoken, but also into the hope of redeemed bodies. Do you hope for a new body? I so see everyone's wearing glasses, walking sticks. <clears throat> the hope of a redeemed body, I think, is something utterly lost on youth. <laughs> if you are young and everything is working well, hearing a message about a redeemed body just seems like a minor upgrade. <laughs> But when you are unwell, either physically or mentally, and you're struggling, or you're a little further on in age, or you're close to those that are fighting with difficulties, with that state of corruption, and you hear a message about a hope of a redeemed body, it's wonderful. What a great thing to look forward to. Our physical condition is perhaps one of the most potent ways, I think, in which we feel the effect of corruption, of that decay. Our strength fades, our hairlines pull back, our backs weaken, our minds begin to wander, and it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And on and on until death. And then even after death, we decay to dust. But not so the children of God. Not for the children of God. They have a redeemed body that they will inherit. That will last for all of eternity. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
I love the way Paul writes this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And so we wait. Don't we? With this great vision of hope in our hearts, we wait. Not with fear in these hopes, but with eagerness, the scripture says, with patience and with eagerness. We wait for the Lord's timing, for him to complete the work that he is doing, the work of making all things good for those who love him to make it perfect for us and for him. Yet, waiting with hope is not always an easy thing to do. At times, we see and wonder at what lies ahead. At times, it's wonderful. And at other times, it's looking at hope as though it is shrouded in fog, And it's difficult to see. It is a time that Paul says, not of glory, but of weakness. Our present sufferings or present sorrows. It is a good and right thing to acknowledge that a life of faith is not easy. How many of the psalms and songs and poems to the Lord are laments, even though they have steady faith? How many struggle with sin and the corrupt state of the world, waiting for even such wonderful hopes of glory as we have spoken of this morning, being adopted into that royal family, creation being set free and a new body, And yet it's called groaning, I think, for a reason. But the Lord is busy. Yet the Lord is busy as he is perfecting his work for you and I. But he's not ignorant of what we go through. He knows the hardships that come with our current predicament. The spirit, Paul says, groans with wordless groans on our behalf. He too waits for the day when his children will be with him and the groaning will be over. When we will inherit the fullness of the blessings that have been given to us that he has prepared. 
how important it is for us to know something of what we spoke about last week, the depth of our hopelessness at the moment, the weakness and our present difficulty, even as we faithfully wait for this reason that you and I might taste and see that the Lord is good. Not tasting our own strength, our own capabilities, which stink of rot and death, but savouring instead the sweet aroma and the savoury flavour of his mercy to us in our weakness and in his promises to us. That he loves not only those that love him in return, but the vilest of sinners. Making those that he chooses into his children. Yet for all of the wondering, all of the wonder of these blessings, we must watch our hearts that we don't consider them in the same light that the world would consider them. And think only of ourselves. To hear that they are adopted into such a lofty position, the world would take such a promise as an opportunity to reign over one another. An opportunity to rule and have authority to gain themselves. It was the fall, wasn't it? It becomes all about me and what I get rather than an opportunity to be renewed in our service to the one that we love, to have our minds corrected, our bodies and our hearts purified to be all about the Father. That's, not, that's the way of the kingdom. Surely our Lord Jesus has shown us what it means to be a son of God. It is to have a heart that is ruled by love, a heart that is eager to serve the Lord and one uh, and one another at the cost of self. And to consider it the greatest of delights and pleasures. Upon the arrival <clears throat> of John the Baptist into this world when he was born, his father, Zechariah, sang a song, a poem. It was mostly about the Messiah and the covenant promises that were being fulfilled upon Jesus' arrival. That in him, in Jesus, the people of God's kingdom would be delivered from their enemies so that they would be able to serve the Lord in righteousness and holiness all of their days. This is the great desire that we are restored to. This is the great hope that we have. Being able to serve the Lord in righteousness and holiness all of our days. And fully able and capable to do so. This is the heart of the Lord. Here we go for time. I'll finish by reading a psalm that speaks 
I think quite aptly of this, Psalm 34. Oh, bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around, all around those who fear him, and he delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. A young lion's lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. None of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Let us pray. Lord God, if if we, after hearing something, a small piece, Lord, a small understanding of the hopes that you've given us that, Lord, are too much for us to understand at this present age. If we have heard something of this, Lord, we pray that it would stand out. Lord, that we would hold on to it tightly as a gift from you, that we might persevere, that we might hold on to it to endure that it might be something precious that we take out and behold to know that we are going to be restored back to you, not as a servant, but as your son, that we are going to be given back 
Lord, brought back to a state where we are able to love you as we were always intended to and held securely in your arms by your Son. Lord God, the hope of having bodies that are willing and able and capable, Lord, of worshipping you and only you. There are so many different messages that we hear, Father, that would minimise the hopes that you have given us. So many lies that we are told by the evil one to do as he did with Adam and Eve and minimise you, Father. To make the hope of being restored back in a relationship with you something small and unimportant and insignificant. But it's not true, Father. You are our everything. (coughs) Worshipping you and being about you is not only our duty, it is our delight and our greatest joy. Father, we pray that you, even in this present time, Lord, would continue to fill our eyes, Lord, with who you are, that we might even now worship and hold on to you. Father, we give thanks that there is a day coming where, where, Lord, all the fog will be pulled away and we will see you clearly. We look forward to that day, Father, and we pray in the hope that has been uh, that we've spoken about this morning, Lord, that you would continue to call people into your kingdom through us and our words, Lord, so that they too might have such a wonderful hope as this. We pray these things, trusting in you, that you are bringing about the completion of your good work. In Jesus' name, amen.